So I think Chris is me stripping back towards something that looks a bit more like who I am. I'm very much a writer also, so I'm kind of announcing to myself what I'm about to become. I was thinking of Chris as a character. I was starting to allow myself to become that character. Sometimes it raises questions about sincerity and honesty and like where does the character stop and the real human begins? And I'm like, this is so intricate even for me. Because identity is a construction, because we make choices every day, even I'm using theater to become who I want to become, which is a quest that probably will never stop. She might be France's most potent pop export these days, but Christine and the Queens owes a lot to London. It is here that she made her decision to become a singer, leaving her real name Heloise Laetitia behind and assuming the moniker she goes by now. Encouraged by the drag queens at legendary Soho club Madame Jojo's, she started a musical career. The queens mentioned in her name are not a band, but a homage to those encouraging influences. When she's with her troupe dancers on stage, though, Christine puts up a spectacle that's energetic, gutsy and does plenty to explore the boundaries of gender. Her first album, Chaleur Romaine, climbed charts around Europe. Her fans fell for this suited-up star that moved like Michael Jackson over electropop. With her most recent album, Christine has bumped up the fierceness. Her new release, Chris, is a funk-filled, muscular record, all sexual references and plays on androgyny. We caught her at the beginning of a hugely successful European tour that brought her physicality to the fore and required quite a lot of training. I'm Chiara Ramella, and I sat down with her in London at music venue Spiritland on The Big Interview. Chris, thank yes. you so much for coming in today. You're welcome. Um, we've caught you straight off the Eurostar. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Rockstar! I guess it's... I oh know. The, the life. The life. <laughs> so you start the tour next week. Yes, I do. Exciting times? Exciting times ahead. Also the start of the tour life, which is a different temporality than than the studio life and the promo life. I love the show, but it's really demanding physically. So it's the start of something way more aesthetic and uh, different. But also it's the start of me meeting the people again, because I've been talking a lot about the album. I've been promoting it a lot, but I've been lacking the sense of immediacy and the you know moments of uh, presence with the audience that comes in. So it's going to be quite cool I think and also I don't know whenever I watch your videos or you even listen to the lyrics there's so much physicality in there like body is such a big part of of this yeah is that true of the shows and also of the way that you think about writing things what's your relationship with the body and your body <laughs> mm, ongoing <laughs> <laughs> it's true that I think it's also interesting because I think the second record was infused with with a physicality that I discovered on the first tour And I think this project is so much about acceptance also that, I, you know, by choosing at some point to name myself Christine and to uh, become a performer, I chose to go back into my body also. It's explorative, but it's uh, intimate and also it's extravagant. It's both. Touring so much Chaleur Humaine the first time, I became way more an animal also because when you're a performer, you're on stage and you're just using senses and muscles and guts and... And I think the second record is infused with a newfound erotism because of that. And it resonates on the whole second show I'm working on. I mean, it's still so much, very much about the dance, but uh, worked a bit differently. I have a new team of dancers and they're really, really great. But I'm, I'm collaborating with um, three choreographers called The Horde, La Horde in French. And they're working with um, collective writing. It's a show that became interesting to work on because the dancing is not 
a classic routine. It's not like, you know, the singer and the dancers decorating her, but it's so much about a narrative also. Because the album is full of presences also, because it's about desire and body politics. It's infused with other people bringing turmoil in. On stage, it's almost about sometimes duels and duets and interactions. And sometimes the dancers are like threatening my authority also as a, as a performer and in a good way. You know, it's like Peter Pan and the Lost Kids. And there is a sense of like back and forth and ping pong that's really interesting to work on. I mean, this is what's cool about pop music also. Like, I always loved people who just use the pop weapon to mutate. And it's so much about the body also, like Perfume Genius and David Bowie and uh, and even St. Vincent. And they're just using the pop language to shapeshift. Shapeshifting is exactly what I was thinking, because, I mean, you've made it obvious with the hair and the everything, but mm. the new album obviously feels like a different thing. And whether... Dropping the queens and going for Chris and the stripping back. Is that stripping back and going closer to you or is it a new persona? What's your relationship with the persona? Is the persona something different mm. that mm. can change that in the third album will become something else again mm. and it will continue shape-shifting? Or are we getting closer mm. to the core? It's complicated, this concept of a persona, because I think sometimes it leads people a bit astray of what it means, actually, because I think it's not a character at all. It's me trying to find a good iteration for who I am, which is actually, in a way, getting closer to who I could possibly be. But I'm saying persona because it's an unfiltered version of myself that can only exist on stage. I think in life, with social interactions and social anxiety, uh, social filters and shit, I can't be... Chris, the purest version of Chris all the time, even though me choosing a persona is me allowing myself more personal things. I don't know if it's me, mm -hmm. means something. So I think Chris is me stripping back towards something that looks a bit more like who I am. But then again, it's intricate because it's like, I'm very much a writer also, so I'm kind of announcing to myself what I'm about to become. I was thinking of Chris as a character. I was starting to allow myself to become that character. So it's a bit intricate. Sometimes it raises questions about sincerity and honesty and like where does the character stop and the real human begins. And I'm like, this is so intricate even for me because identity is a construction, because we make choices every day. Even every one of us make use theatricality in a way. So I'm just emphasizing it to the point that I'm using theater to become who I want to become, which is a quest that probably will never stop. I think Chris is me getting closer to you. It's definitely me pulling your shirt and getting closer. The nickname also, I was in love with the idea of using a nickname for the second album, which was a way to unfold more instead of like uh, barricading myself in power. And the album talks about abandon so much, like in desire and despair and joy and sadness. It's so much about not being ashamed of all the feels. There is a sense of like, it feels like really raw for me. The the contact, you know, you were saying about pulling the audience. Obviously, there are lines in the record that kind of speak directly of that. But what does the contact with the audience do for you? What kind of contact are you seeking when you write these things? How much do you reach out mm. for a personal need as well? My relationship to the audience <laughs> is really also shaped by what I did in theatre before I started music. And I'm saying that because sometimes I notice that in the entertainment industry, not everyone, but uh, people don't really trust the audience sometimes. There is a sense of like, we have to um, smash things in people's heads. We have to tell them what to feel when. You know, when I sometimes go and see gigs, there is a sense of like, it's almost like didactic. This is a really hectic song. This is a really smooth song. 
And there is a sense of, it's the contrary in theatre sometimes to me. It's like you allow the audience to come and finish the work with you. Like Peter Brook uh, and the t theory of the empty space and you say like, this is a castle right now and people get to imagine that with you. It's totally different. And I'm not saying I'm especially doing that when I'm making uh, my songs, but I do believe in leaving some space for someone. Even in the song production, even in the show, I'm leaving some space for someone else to come in. It's a form I'm throwing out and I don't really believe in, um, well, again, barricading everything and making everything so thick. I do believe in leaving some, I do believe it's a breathing thing. And this is why I love uh, people who work on minimalism, like James Blake, for example. What you were saying just really reminded me about how complex, complex in the sense of complexity and layering and how yeah. interesting that is, everything that you do and, and, and the way that you portray yourself is. So many people are quick to say, you know, what you do is so of the time and it represents like mm. such an important thing right now. Is complexity actually in vogue right now? Reflecting about gender and reflecting about sexual identity maybe is but mm. is complexity actually you know what you're just catching me <laughs> a day after a conversation i got with some people in france who reproached actually me that it was too complex saying you have been too ambitious on that record by addressing too much intricacy and you lost people in that record and we uh, had an argument actually about that i'm not sure it's actually it's actually in vogue no I'm not sure it's in vogue everywhere. And this is why it's complicated. I got like a huge um, success on the first record. That was a hybrid one, maybe a bit a less layered one. I've always been in a weird place. Like I love pop music, but I'm slightly alternative. And sometimes I'm too mainstream for the alternative space. And I'm always existing in that kind of gray zone. And the album exploded in Charleroi-Men and I became mainstream in France. But it didn't change my way of seeing and making things. And now sometimes I'm um, I'm actually uh, reproached something that always was in my DNA. I don't think complexity is so much in vogue in, the, in something mainstreamy or entertainment. I do think there is still uh, something you have to brand or you have to apologize slightly for. Or I think if you address plainly complexity and intricacy with like fierceness, it can be, uh, you can slightly pay for it. But I'm interested in that. It's a risk I was willing to take. And I, when I was making the record, I was actually sure it would be a bit that I could lose um, some people because I made choices that were artistic and never. Um, I was never trying to uh, preserve something that happened. I was not trying to see like, let's make Chaleur Men 2 and see what worked on the first record. I was actually eager to complicate the narrative also as a woman because I was listening to records like The Velvet Rope and I was like, this is intricate. I can't really relate to the woman behind the record the whole time. Sometimes she loses me because I don't understand how she can sing about empowerment and about abuse from one song to the next. But this is the intricacy of one's soul and I'm interested in having that in pop music. I'm interested in making a pop music that's very much about the first person also. And this is something that's way more happening in rap music, I think. For example, Kendrick, well, I'm not comparing myself, but Kendrick Lamar is, is addressing the intricacies of his soul in writing, you know, and you get to uh, perceive someone human. Sometimes pop is about the machinery, and I love that, but I did want to be a human in the machine. <laughs> so it's risky, but I don't know. I'm making really long answers right no, now. No, I'm, I'm fascinated because <laughs> I, complete, I completely agree. And to be honest, when I ask you that question, I don't think that complexity is in vogue. I don't, I don't think so. No. And I, that's part of the reason why I have a big problem with the way that we're talking about gender right now, because it's um, so easy to 
feel like we're done. We've done our good thing now that we're talking about it, whilst the reality is that unless you talk about it with complexity and intelligence, then it's like not talking about it at all. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think I think sometimes we are reaching a point where it feels like it's a bit under la- a layer of plastic with like a cool sticker on it. But actually, this is just the start of a huge conversation that is never ending and you cannot... Queer itself is not something that defines, it's something that questions. So how can you... Uh, make a list of artists that are queer. So sometimes it's a bit scary to me. And people say like, oh, you're so cool. I mean, this is such such a cool marketing thing to be queer. I'm like, but I grew up like that. I just have to embrace it. I, I had to fight to embrace that. I'm not branding myself like that. But it's complicated because you don't want to uh, look ungrateful or anything. The conversations are happening and it's great, but we should be aware that they should be a bit more intricate. I wanted to ask you something about growing up. So many of the pop stars that we've mentioned and the people that you've mentioned are very much from an Anglophone kind of pop tradition. Yeah. Did French music shape you at all? And if so, which one? I wonder, is the idea of the chanteurs and all the kind of ideal around it and the myth of it, did that also influence the way that you then shape yourself against it? Not really. Because I think some French music shaped me. For example, if I'm honest, if I'm... I mean, he's really famous, but for example, Serge Gainsbourg was a huge inspiration. And actually, for that record, I was inspired by um, a late record he made that, that is called Love on the Beat, which is surprisingly in France, a record that is slightly overlooked, and I don't know why. Actually, I kind of know why. Because it's really sexual, lustful, sticky with, with, with melancholic erotism, and it's really queer. It's like a fucking amazing queer record and I think French people they listen to it and they're like mm, yeah because it's surprising coming from someone like Serge Gainsbourg so like but this is a fantastic record about actually a French man coming to search for like a more New York sound of the 80s and being really lustful on top of it and Serge Gainsbourg is, is a huge person some other singers like Christophe or Alain Bachung a band called the Rita Mitsuko with a very powerful charismatic female leader who is still singing by the way and she's amazing but it's true that I never was inspired by the chanteuse, quoi. The idea of, like, you know, the woman behind the mic standing on the, her own and uh, delivering, like, lines like that. It never really even moved me or interested me. I wouldn't say I built myself against it. I think I built my character against a certain idea of a woman, which can be embodied by the chanteuse, but my many... Uh... But then again, he was against that and for something else. I was really inspired, for example, by someone like Laurie Anderson, for example, because she was portraying a femininity that I could relate to. And I mean, I'm never reaching the level of Laurie Anderson's swagger, but she she was just clever. You could focus on her being clever and the rest didn't really matter. I wish, you know, people could just focus on what I have to say at some point. So I think the idea of the suit or at the beginning of the project, me being suited up was a way to have almost like a uniform and people could focus on something else. But then the great discovery of the first record was like, I cannot escape the male gaze. And I was like, dang it. Do you think that there is that? The fact that people talking about the queerness of it all now was always there, but people were too distracted to realise. And then suddenly you have to peel it back and, and say, well, actually, if you look at it closely enough, it was always there. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't the right time. Maybe it wasn't obvious enough. Do you have to shove it in their faces a little bit more? You know what? I think at some point I was just amazed at how a haircut makes people listen to you differently. I should have been aware because we are in pop music and theatre again, so it was really candid of me. 
And of course, like people like David Bowie were using the incarnation to draw people in. But by cutting my hair, people were like hearing way more what I had to say, which made me feel like, wait a second, what were they hearing before? <laughs> Because on Chalary, man, like, It is a song singing about me having a metaphorical dick for like four minutes. It's actually more blatant in this, you know, a song like that on the first record. Also, I think that the record is more blatantly sexual. And I think before I was a bit less sexualized. And when you do sexualize yourself a bit more, and then you enter the weird force field of being a, a woman that sexualizes herself in, in the public eye. And this is a really slightly terrifying slash thrilling force field because... Uh, It's really interesting to play around with it and to try to actually sexualize yourself on your own terms. But then again, people are really sometimes a bit infuriated that you could just choose to sexualize yourself in a different way also. And also like the discussion about good and bad feminist starts. Before you used to be a role model for my uh, young girls and now... Do you get told that genuinely? Like you're less of a good feminist now because you've taken control? Mm, kind of, yeah. But I think it's because I'm sexualizing myself more and showing more skin. I got also those um, remarks when I went on stage with Madonna in Paris and she spanked me. Lots of women were shocked by that. Like They were like, how can you humiliate yourself that way? I was like, interesting that you talk about humiliation. But of course, like this is me being really candid and it's just I'm experimenting. It's a really different thing to experiment it by yourself. I want to ask you two things. One is about writing in two languages. Hmm? I speak two languages. I'm not a native English speaker. Okay. And I write in English and I wonder, does writing in English feel less distant for you? Is writing in English a commercial necessity? Is it something that you had to do and so did? Hmm. Or is there something creatively also that comes back to you from even allowing one more layer of distance from things? When I, when I, I was uh, asked to release Chaleur Humaine in, in the US for the first time, I remember actually that I put it on myself to translate the whole record. And it could feel like a commercial choice, but it was also like actually more um, a way to relate. I was, I was a bit frustrated in releasing the French record and people just bopping along without really having a chance to understand. Not that I'm saying so much uh, life-changing shit. Every song had a like, meaning and I did want to try to have the meaning getting across so I was like hi oh, I should try to translate it and then it was unstoppable I was kind of translating more songs and I couldn't choose and, and it became uh, something I did for the whole record so the second record came in and I had like a career going that was out of France especially for example in the UK so I was like you know I'm not going to do a French record but I'm not going to let go of French also and I think I have a relationship to English that is also quite literary Because I'm reading, I'm reading writers in English and I, for example, I discovered Maggie Nelson and I do love her writing. And even though I'm not bilingual, I do like to write in English sometimes. Even when I have like diaries, I sometimes switch to English. And I do love the aesthetic of switching to another language at some point. For example, in the first record, I, even in the French one, I was switching between French and English because it was, it's like uh, choosing a different instrument also. It's the same line of melody, but if you pick a violin, it's not the same as a piano. So you have a different texture of emotional possibilities. So it became something I just love to do now. But it became also something really interesting to work on right away because I knew every song would be translated. It was almost like a crash test. If the song could survive the translation, if it was easy to translate, it was a good sign because then it was precise. A song like Doesn't Matter, I first wrote it in French and it's really wordy. I was like, how am I going to do with the English? 
it was thrilling, you know. I was like, oh, I'm scared. That's nice. <laughs> Second thing that I wanted to ask you is this. Mm. When you travel so much, when life kind of comes at you from all angles and you centre yourself around yourself so much, you kind of have to find this place within mm. you. Is there a place outside that feels like a safe space for you, like a cosy place where you, if you think about a place where you feel happy? In the where world. Where is that place, yeah. I remember discovering New York and being really thrilled by it. But, you know, it's changing, actually. At first I discovered New York and I was like, this is fantastic. I almost got the fantasy of living there, which was weird because at the point where I was actually saying that to myself, some of the French people, because New York is full of French people, just said the same exact thing next to me. So I was like, oh, I'm actually, I'm not that unique. It feels, pains me. But I remember walking for hours in New York. I do love cities where you can walk for hours and feel safe. And for some reason, it was the case in New York. But then I got to love a bit more the melancholy of Los Angeles. It's hard for me to choose because every city resonates differently. But there is a sense of, uh, yeah. You can allow yourself to be someone different, also slightly different every everywhere. But I, I'd say New York is always working on me for some weird reason. Do you love playing in Tokyo because there's something about mm. the audience there or there's something about the way that the performance is shaped that works? Mm. Or do you feel the difference? Yeah, but every time it's different. And every, you know, in every city of France also, it's almost geographically really different. And every night it's also sometimes different. It's hard to, gen- to have like a sure idea of of what an audience is, which makes the performance always good, good in terms of like exciting. Because honestly, you never know. Sometimes you can be glad to go back in the city and it's different because the audience is different and you work it differently. So I don't know. I'm too young to know. I'll (laughs) tell you after the second tour. I was thinking a lot about what repetition means for music. I went to see The National doing a lot of sorrow. No, I wasn't there in, in person, but you know, this idea of repeating the same song for six hours in a row. And obviously it's both funny to look at and super insightful and it kind of makes you think about all these things and then you makes you realise that if you are a musician, then that's, it's not that crazy. Maybe you have rehearsed the same song or repeated the same song six, six hours in a row and that's yeah. just the way that the experience happens yeah. and the press and the interviews and the, the nights every night. What does repetition do to the music and, and to you? Does it chip at the truth of the message or does it just turn into this thing that is just completely performative and it's just the way that it happens in the world in the world of theatre as well in a way yeah yeah it's something that I kind of like actually me myself personally even like for example when I write a song that I know that I know it's going to be on the record you feel it when you write the the song that is going to remain on the record it's sometimes there is a follow-up of like it's a slight trance of maybe two hours when you listen to it repeatedly. So in a way, this is a, repetition also is a way to fall in love with uh, all over again with the work you just did. And also the repetition every night. When I was saying monastic, there is a sense of like the repetition is also like a constant. It's not religious, no, but it's a bit meditative. You go back to that place every time you go back and you go back. And there is a sense of like duty and uh, honesty. And it's your purpose to make it new every night and it should be new every night even though it's repetitive I've never did like any martial art or anything there is a sense of you search for beauty you also repetitively say every night I'm searching for beauty I'm searching for beauty I'm searching for beauty and relate and trying to relate and there is a I, I like the idea of like saying vows every night 
I think there is a point where if you feel like you should stop, you have to stop because we are in such an economy that sometimes musicians can be worn out by repetition. And I don't want to be that kind of musician. Well, no one wants actually, but it's sometimes hard to say stop. The first tour I said stop at some point and they actually said stop at the end of the UK tour because they were like, oh, but actually you can go to Australia and Japan. I was like, I can't because it feels like I'm, I'm draining out the songs of the start to feel like uh, empty shells and I don't want that. And it's hard to say that because people do want you to carry on. But yeah, I do like the relationship uh, to uh, repetition. There is something reassuring also. How do you feel looking back to the things that you did two years ago? Does it feel like it's still you or does it feel a different you? Uh, it feels like it's still me, but a younger me. I feel older. <laughs> when I sing the um, songs of the first album, actually working on the next tour, I've, I'm including a lot of the first album, of course, because I have only two albums. And I was a bit afraid that it could mean less or... Actually, it's sometimes a bit really tender because the first album is actually weirdly calling out for the second one also. Like there is a French song that's called Chaleur Humaine, in the, I think in the French album. And the opening line is like, I'm, I'm against every form of chastity. And I'm like, that could be a subtitle <laughs> for Chris, <laughs> which is which is cute. But it definitely feels like it's it's a picture of me younger. So I can relate to that person, but I, I just, I'm just in a slightly different space. But I can bring those songs to that different space without much of a difficulty, which is a bit freaky also. I have, I have the same obsessions always. Like a song like Saint Claude and a song like Doesn't Matter, for me, I are kind of sisters because it's talking about the heart extreme loneliness and, and how hard it is to relate but differently and with a different age and a different position in the world but it's kind of the same Is London a bit of a special place for you? Oh yeah Because I mean the Jojo's story kind of happened here Yeah That's, that's where all That's where it all started <laughs> well, That's where it all crystallised actually It was the place of like it made sense a bit there it like clicked together I was like oh, Okay but I was not. I, d I didn't figure it out on my own. This is this is because of also thanks to the the, the drag queens who just helped me. They were probably the first also to gave me confidence in the singing and and things like that. I was I was desperately waiting for someone to allow me, uh, and and they were allowing me first. But yeah, yeah. This is so. This 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 happened there, and actually, uh, um, other things happened there since then. I mean, it's always a city where. Um, a, Things from the heart happens. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why. It's good though. Um, and also, and also, the 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 cycle around Chaleur Humaine here was insane, and it was insane in the best way. And it happened at the end of of something. I th I thought actually I would st I would stop promoting that record. I was like, I'm going to release it in the UK. Maybe they're going to throw stones at me because I'm a French woman making pop music, and I'll just go home and sleep. And what happened was was really surprising and. Uh, invigorating I was like oh okay I can't believe it's actually making sense here which was really beautiful because it was in a way to you know s to close a, a beautiful loop or open a circle that never ends I don't know but yeah it's always it's always uh, at some point I considered living here might happen you said a very interesting word I think which is they allowed you to do what yeah, the, the queens allowed you to do what you mm wanted and, and felt like doing. How important is allowance and how important is defiance in what you do? Is there an importance in, in it being deliberately defying as well? Ooh. Deliberately, I don't know. Sometimes it's not, it's not that much deliberate. Sometimes it's just like the expression of a weird survival technique. Actually, the song, a song like The Walker, for example, on the record, 
addresses the intricacy of that. You're not sure if it's defiance in the purest form to keep on walking even wounded or if it's just a, a way to be soft to yourself. Enfin, sometimes I think actually defiance is a way to be softer to yourself. Um, it's not like pure provocation, it's just like a resistance. But a resistance because you might feel marginalized or something. So I, I think there are many forms of defiance, but sometimes the, 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 the purest defiance can be just to try to be oneself, which is an absurd form of defiance, right? I mean, when, when Christine was uh, first an idea in my head, there was an act of defiance, but because I was wounded. Enfin, I'm not trying to excuse it, but I'm just trying to explain where it comes from. It was because of the memory of something that I kind of... I owed it to myself to kind of be a bit more defiant. But it's more luminous than aggressive. It was a way to just, like, you know, stand taller. My many thanks to Christine and the Queens. The big interview is produced by Yolene Goffin and edited by Cassie Galpin. I'm Chiara Rimella. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>